The Lady Killer by Martina Cole. Read by Annie Aldington. Prologue All I asked you to do was take off your muddy shoes. For Christ's sake, George, are you thick or something? Can't you even take in the most simple thing? Elaine Markham looked at her husband's expressionless face and fought down an urge to slam her fist into it. She could feel herself gritting her teeth and made a conscious effort to relax. Once more her eyes went to the wet mud all over her kitchen floor. Sighing heavily, she took out the floor cloth from underneath the kitchen sink, slammed the cupboard door shut and began to fill a plastic bowl with water. George Markham watched his wife as she sprinkled some flash into the water. Sitting down on one of the kitchen chairs, he began to remove his gardening shoes, careful not to let any more mud or dirt fall on the pristine floor. Elaine turned from the sink with the bowl of water and shrieked at him. Can't you do that on a piece of newspaper? Are you so stupid you can't even think of doing a simple thing like that? George stared at his wife for a few seconds, chewing on his bottom lip. I'm sorry, Elaine. His voice was low and bewildered. The sound of it made his wife screw her eyes up tight. Pulling off his shoes, George went to the kitchen door and dropped them outside. Shutting the door carefully, he turned back to his wife. Give me that, Elaine. I'll clean up the mess. He smiled at her sadly, causing her breathing to become laboured. She shook her head in irritation. No! You'll only make it worse. By God, George, no wonder you can't get on at work. It's a wonder they even allow you to go there every day. She put the bowl of steaming water on the floor and knelt down. As she began washing the floor, she was still complaining. Honestly, you're enough to drive a person up the bloody wall. You can't do anything, anything, without ballsing it up in some way. Look at last week. George watched his wife's ample buttocks moving under her apron as she worked and talked. The rolls of fat around her hips were shuddering alarmingly as she scrubbed at the floor. In his mind's eye, he saw himself getting up from his seat and kicking her as hard as he could in the rump, sending her and the bowl of water flying. The fantasy made him smile to himself. What are you grinning at? He brought himself back to the present with difficulty and focused on Elaine's face. She was staring at him over her shoulder, her bright green eyeshadow and ruby-red lips lurid in the glare from the strip light. Nothing. Nothing, love. He sounded confused. I'll just piss off, George. Out of my sight. He continued to stare at his wife. He watched as her strong arms and hands wrung out the floor cloth, her fingers squeezing until every last drop of water was gone. He wished he was squeezing Elaine's neck. Instead, he went towards the back door. Where are you going now? Her voice was high and querulous. George stared at her. I still have some things to do in the shed. Elaine rolled her eyes to the ceiling. Well, why on earth did you come in in the first place? Messing up the floor, causing all this. She spread her arms in a gesture of wonderment. I just wanted a cup of tea, but I can see that you're busy... He made a hasty exit from the kitchen and pulled on his gardening shoes again outside the back door. Elaine stared at the closed door for a few seconds. As always, after she had been at George, as she termed it herself, she felt guilty. Guilty and flat. 
He was just so useless. Over the years, his placid acceptance of their way of life had driven her mad. Sighing, she carried on washing the floor. Inside his shed, George bolted the wooden door and leant against it for a few moments, the sweat cold on his forehead. Licking his lips, he closed his eyes and began to breathe deeply. One of these days, Elaine was going to get a shock. She was going to open her mouth once too often. He could feel the hammering of his heart against his ribs and placed his hand over it as if to quell the movement. He turned from the door and walked to the opposite end of his shed. Pulling a pile of gardening magazines from an old-school desk, he opened the top. Inside the desk were a couple of scruffy jumpers, his gardening jumpers. Taking these out, he smiled. Underneath them were his books, his real books, with real women in them. Women who did not nag and chide and want. Women who just lay passively and smiled, whatever you might do to them. He picked up the top book. On the cover was a young girl of about twenty. Her arms were tied behind her back and she had a leather collar around her neck. Her long golden blonde hair lay across her shoulders and partially obscured her breasts. A man's hand was pulling her head backwards, his hairy maleness messing up the girl's lovely locks. She was smiling. George stared at the picture for a while. His small, even teeth just showed beneath his lips in a slight smile. Licking his lips again, he sat in his chair. He opened the magazine slowly as if for the first time, wanting to savour the pleasure of every picture. He looked at the girl in front of him, a different girl this time, oriental-looking, with tiny pointed breasts and a curtain of black hair. She was on all fours. The leather strap around her neck was attached to her feet. If she struggled against it, you could see that she would choke to death. A man was behind her. He wore a black leather mask and was about to plunge his erect penis into the girl's anus. Her back was arched, and she was looking at the camera. A smile of beatific pleasure plastered across her face. George sighed with contentment. He slowly looked through the magazine, pausing here and there to hold the book away from him, to see the pictures from a different angle. He could feel the familiar sense of excitement building up inside. He pushed his hand into the crease of the chair. He felt around for a second. Then his hand found what he was looking for. He drew out an army knife. Then placing the magazine carefully across his knees, he pulled the knife out from its cover. It was a large knife with a seven-inch serrated blade. He turned it around in the sunshine that was streaming through the window, watching it glinting. He looked down at the girl in the centrefold of the magazine. Her face was looking up at him in a mixture of agony and ecstasy as a hooded man ejaculated into her face, the semen running down her chin and onto her breasts. Carefully and precisely, George began to dismember her. He drew the knife across her throat, slitting the paper. Then he began to tear at her breasts and vagina. All the time she watched him, smiling at him encouraging him. He could feel his erection building, could feel the cold sweat under his arms and across his back. He began to hack at the magazine, pushing the knife into the paper. He heard the rush in his ears, as if he was swimming underwater, 
and then the graceful, almost euphoric waves of the orgasm as it reached its crescendo. George lay back in the comfortable old chair, his breathing coming in small gasps, his heartbeat gradually returning to normal. He closed his eyes, and gradually the sounds and sights of the day came back to him. He could hear his neighbour Strimmer outside his shed, could hear the children next door playing in their paddling pool. Their high-pitched baby laughter drifted into his consciousness. A bead of salty sweat dripped into his eyes, and he blinked it away. He shook his head slowly and looked down at his lap. That was when he saw the blood. He blinked rapidly for a few seconds. The girl was covered in blood. The body that he had slashed to pieces was slowly being stained crimson. George stared. He pushed the magazine from him, every nerve in his body vibrating with shock. He had cut himself. He stared down at the gash on his thigh. It was pumping blood everywhere. He jumped from his seat in a panic. The knife had slit his jeans and pierced his own flesh. He must tell Elaine, get her to take him to the hospital. He went to the shed door in a blind panic. Then he remembered the books. Holding the injured leg with one hand, he gathered the magazines from the floor. He thrust them into the child's desk with the others. Bundling the jumpers on top, he shut the lid. He could feel the blood running down his leg. He picked up the pile of gardening magazines and threw them on top of the desk. Blood was everywhere now. Pulling the bolt from across the top of the shed door, he burst out into the sunlight. The sound of splashing and shrieking coming over the larch lap fence assaulted his ears. George ran up the path to the back door and thrust it open. Elaine was preparing the vegetables for dinner. She turned towards him in dismay. He stood before her, covered in blood. I've... I've cut myself, Elaine. He was nearly crying. Oh, my God, George. She grabbed a tea towel and wound it round his leg, pulling it tight. Come on, I'll drive you to the hospital. George lay in a cubicle of the Accident and Emergency Department of Grangeley Hospital. He felt sick. A young nurse was trying to remove his trousers. Please, Mr Markham, I must take them off. Her voice was young and husky. No, no, you mustn't. Cut the trouser leg off or something. George and the nurse stared at one another, then both looked towards the curtain as it was pulled back. The young nurse breathed a sigh of relief. It was the charge nurse, Joey Denelin. What's the matter, nurse? His voice held the false jocularity peculiar to male nurses. Mr Markham won't let me remove his trousers. The man smiled at George. Bit of a shy one, are you? Well, never mind. I'll do it for you. The nurse left, and before George could protest, the young man was pulling off his jeans. George tried to grab the waistband, but the boy was too strong. They were off. George swallowed deeply and turned his head away from the boy's face. Joey Denelin stared at the wounded leg with an expert eye. Deep, but it had not affected any main arteries. His eyes flicked over the man before him and stopped dead. No wonder the old boy was so against Jenny pulling his trousers off. The stains were very recent and still sticky. What had he been up to? that could have got him such a large gash in his leg. He shrugged. Theirs was not to reason why. What kind of knife was it? 
Joey was careful to keep his voice light. Oh, a Swiss army knife. George's voice was small, and the younger man felt sorry for him. Well, it will need a few stitches in, but don't worry. You didn't sever anything important. Would you like me to see if I can find you some clean pants? George heard the man-to-man inflection in the other's voice. He nodded. Please, I... uh... Righty-ho, then. I'll be back in a minute. The doctor will be here soon, Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Would you... Keep my wife away, please? George's eyes were pleading, and Joey nodded slowly. Okay. Don't worry. He walked from the cubicle and went out to the reception area. Mrs. Markham? He looked around the assembled people and was not surprised to see the fat woman with the dyed red hair and bright green tracksuit stand up and walk towards him. He had somehow known that this would be the poor bloke's wife. Is he all right? My God, only George could cut himself while sitting in a bloody shed. Honestly, doctor. Nurse. I'm a nurse. As Elaine went to speak again, he interrupted her. We're going to stitch your husband after the doctor has seen him. If you would like to get yourself a coffee or something, there's a machine at the end of that corridor. He pointed to the swing doors to the right. Elaine knew when she was being shut up, and her eyes took on the steely glint usually reserved for George. Turning away, she walked towards the swing doors and pushed them open with such force they crashed against the walls. Joey Denilon watched her. No wonder the poor old sod looked so downtrodden. Being married to her must be like being married to Attila the Hun. Still, Joey was puzzled. How did the old boy get the gash on his leg? What had she said? In a garden shed? How did that account for the seaman, which it definitely was, in his underpants? He heard someone call him. Joey, an RTA on the M25. How many involved? He walked towards the reception desk. Four. Estimated time of arrival, seven minutes. Okay. Call crash. Joey began to make arrangements to receive the casualties from the road accident. George Markham was pushed from his mind. Are you coming, George? Peter Renshaw's deep, booming voice seemed to bounce off the walls of the office and hit George in the face. Coming where? He peered at Renshaw. To the do, Georgie. The bloody leaving do. For Jonesy. Oh, Yes, Jonesy's leaving do. Of course, of course. Yes, I'll be going. Good on you. Got him a stripogram, the lot. Tell you what, Georgie, it will be a great do. Bloody great. Peter Renshaw had a habit of stressing some words by chopping them in two to get his point across. It drove George up the wall. Renshaw was a salesman for the clothing company for which George worked. He towered over George in height, and it was obvious he liked this. Peter Renshaw was in his early thirties, and from what everyone could gather, he earned a lot of money. He was the number one salesman. He liked George for some strange reason, and always made sure he was invited to any do's that were on the agenda. I arranged the stripogram myself, Georgie boy. Biggest set of bristles this side of the water. Can't wait to see old Jonesy's face. George smiled. Old Jonesy, Howard Jones, was younger than George himself. About forty-five was Howard Jones. George was fifty-one. 
He shuddered inwardly. Fifty-one. His life was nearly over. Peter Renshaw's voice was still booming on. It's all arranged. The pig and whistle first. Twenty quid whip round, by the way. Then on to that new nightclub. What's it called? The Platinum Blonde. That's it. Watch all the little birds strutting their stuff. Be a right laugh. George carried on smiling. Well, I'll let you get on then. Got a hot piece of pussy down in accounts who's just dying for it. <laughs> See you Friday then. George nodded. Yes. See you on Friday, Peter. He watched the man walk from his office. Old Jonesy. He supposed they called him Old Markham. He looked at his watch. It was 5.35. He got out of his chair and, putting on his jacket, made his way out of the building. Courtone Separates was a thriving firm, even in the recession. George worked in the bookkeeping department of accounts. He left the small corridor and went to the stairway that led to the car park. He never used the lifts. As he walked down the stairs, he saw Miss Pearson kneeling on the floor picking up some papers. She was young, only about eighteen, and had worked for Cortons for a year. George had never spoken to her. She had left three buttons undone, and from the landing above her George could see the swelling of her bosom as she stretched out her arms to gather the papers. He stared down at her. The creamy flesh was firm and inviting. The girl looked up at him. He saw the heavily made-up face and forced himself to move down the stairs. He bent down and retrieved some papers, handing them to her silently. Thank you, Mr. Markham. She knew his name. George felt an enormous surge of pleasure over this little fact. You're welcome. He stood up and looked down at her again. Then the door above opened and Peter Renshaw's voice boomed down to them. There you are. I've been looking everywhere for you. You sly old fox, George. Might have known you'd be where the pretty girls are. Miss Pearson looked at Peter and gave a broad smile. George watched her face closely. Oh, Peter. Her voice was husky and breathless. I waited for you, but... George was aware of Peter Renshaw's footsteps on the stairs, bringing him closer. He quickly picked up the rest of the papers from the floor and handed them to Miss Pearson. George walked away from them, certain that he would not be noticed. He was right. Neither of them said a word to him. He walked out of the building and unlocked his car, an A-Reg Orion. He sat in the driving seat, waiting. The couple finally left the building and walked towards Peter's car, Renshaw's arm draped across the girl's shoulder, one hand squeezing her breast. Miss Pearson giggled and pushed it away. Another slut. Another whore. What had Peter said? Dying for it. George closed his eyes and savoured the picture his words had conjured up. He visualised Miss Pearson, her body open to him, her legs sprawled apart, tied to the legs of a bed, her hands tied behind her back, her heavily made-up face smiling at him as he approached her. She was begging for it, begging and pleading with him. Mr. Markham? George's eyes flew open. Are you all right? You look very white. 
George stared at the man looking in at the window of his car. It was the car park attendant. Yes, thank you. George smiled timidly. I felt a bit tired, that's all. The man made a salute and straightened up. George watched him walk away, his heart hammering in his ears. He tried to get the picture back in his mind, but it was no good. Trembling, he started up his car and drove into Grantley Town Centre. The books he had ordered were due in today. He smiled, enjoying the late summer sunshine and the exquisite feeling of anticipation. It crossed his mind briefly that his hobby was now becoming an obsession, but he thrust the thought aside. His leg was still sore, and he rubbed it absent-mindedly as he drove. It was the end of September, 1989. Chapter One Elaine Markham looked at her husband as he watched the television. His shiny, balding head was nodding up and down, as if he was agreeing with everything that the newscaster said. Oh, for Christ's sake, George, stop agreeing with the TV! He turned in his chair to face her, a hurt expression on his face. Elaine closed her eyes. She could feel her hands clenching into fists and made herself relax. Shall I make you a cup of Ovaltine, dear? George asked in his soft voice. Yes, you do that. George went out to the impossibly clean kitchen and set about making the bedtime drinks. He put on the pan of milk and then opening one of the kitchen cabinets took out Elaine's sleeping pills. Carefully grinding one between two spoons, he placed the powder in the cup with the sugar. Smiling, he poured steaming milk into the cup and stirred it vigorously. Then, removing two more of the sleeping pills, he took the Ovaltine and the pills into Elaine. Here you are, dear. I brought your pills in for you as well. She took the drink and pills from him. Thanks, George. Look, I know I go on at times. Her voice trailed off. I don't take the slightest bit of notice, Elaine. I know that I... Well, that I irritate you is the word, I suppose. George smiled at her, the sad smile that always made her want to rip him to shreds. She put the sleeping pills into her mouth and washed them down with the Ovaltine, burning her lips. George was still smiling, Oh, this tastes bitter. He raised his eyebrows and took a sip of his own drink. Well, mine is fine, dear. Maybe it's the aftertaste of the pills. Could be. I think I'll take my drink up with me. She pulled herself from her seat with difficulty. Night, Elaine. Sleep well. She stared at her husband. If I slept well, George, I wouldn't be taking sleeping tablets. It's just an expression, dear. That's all. Was it her imagination, or was George different lately? Although she could not pinpoint what had changed, she had the distinct feeling that the balance between them was shifting slightly. Looking at her husband now, she would swear on a stack of Bibles that he was laughing at her. Good night then, dear, he said again. She tried to smile at her husband. Yes, good night, George. She walked from the room and his gaze followed her. As she made her way up the stairs to their room, the feeling of uneasiness came over her once more. It was the beginning of December, and George had been wrong somehow for the last couple of months. 
Nothing she could put her finger on exactly, but subtle little differences. He had taken to going out in the evenings for walks, for instance. He was only gone an hour or so, but... She pulled off the candlewick dressing gown and sat on the edge of the bed. He had never once, in twenty-seven years of marriage, gone out walking anywhere. In fact, it was his pet hate. She took off her sheepskin-lined slippers and rubbed at the corn on her foot. Her legs were fat, like the rest of her, and were disfigured by varicose veins. She stared at them and shrugged. She sat against the pillows, picked up her latest Mills and Boone, and read while the pills took effect and she finished her Ovaltine. The words were becoming blurred. She blinked her eyes, trying to focus. The pills were working quicker and quicker lately. Finally, she gave up. Turning off the bedside lamp, she settled down to sleep. Ten minutes later, George popped his head around the bedroom door and grunted in satisfaction as he heard his wife's heavy snores. George slipped out of the house. He had on his heaviest overcoat as the night air was cold and damp. In the streetlight, he looked no different from anyone else who walked the streets late at night. He pulled on the cheese-cutter hat he had recently purchased and began his prowling. He felt a freedom he had not experienced for twenty years in this new pastime. He walked the length and breadth of Grantley. Silently and diligently he walked. Tonight, he decided to walk by the flats that were on the other side of town. Taking a deep breath, he began his lonely trek. As he walked, he kept a vigilant eye out for open curtains and movement. He walked to the end of Bychester Terrace and turned right. Peabody Street took him onto a dirt road that led round the perimeter of Grantley. No busy traffic, only a lone car containing a courting couple here and there. George was outside the flats in Beecham Rise within fifteen minutes. Stationing himself under a large cherry tree opposite the small block, he waited. It was 11.15 before he saw anything, and as usual, it was the woman who lived on the second floor. The flats were what was termed low-rise, only three stories high. George had been here many times in the last eight weeks, and it was always the woman on the second floor who provided his show. Where he was standing, under the cherry tree, was a small hill, part of the council landscaping plan, which gave him the perfect vantage point to see into the woman's flat. Taking the small opera glasses from his pocket, he watched. Leonora Davidson yawned cavernously. She stretched her hands above her head and pulled up her thick black hair. She was dead tired. She would have to stop all the overtime. It was killing her. She unbuttoned her blouse slowly, letting it fall from her rounded shoulders onto the floor. She unhooked her bra and let her breasts fall free, rubbing them furiously as the itching started. Lifting one breast with her hand, she looked into the mirror of her dressing table. A thick red line marked the tender flesh. She sighed. She would have to get herself some decent bras. She cupped her breasts in her hands and pushed them up as if weighing them. She'd definitely put on weight. Then she unzipped her skirt and let it fall to the floor. Stepping out of it, she kicked it away from her. Leonora looked at her body in the mirror. Not bad for her age. A bit saggy these days, but everyone lost the war with gravity eventually. She automatically held her stomach in, then let it out. Sod it. There was no one to admire her any more. Why bother? Yawning again, wider this time, she went to her dressing stall and picked up a nightie, 
a wincieta affair that kept her warm if nothing else. After one last stretch, she turned out the light and climbed into bed. George stood under the cherry tree entranced. When the light went off in the bedroom, he mumbled a curse under his breath and pushed the opera glasses back into his overcoat pocket. He was sweating. Taking a handkerchief out of his trouser pocket, he mopped his forehead. Stupid bitch. What he would not give to be in that flat now. He would show her what it was all about by Christ. Standing around naked, inviting people to look at her. The slut. In his heightened excitement, George was unaware of the two youths who'd been watching him watching her. What are you doing? The voice caused him to swivel around on the balls of his feet. I... I beg your pardon? His voice squeaked with surprise. Two youths stood there, one wearing a long leather coat and with straggly brown hair. The other was wearing a large sheepskin and was what George knew was called a skinhead. You heard, you old ponce. What was you doing watching Mrs Davidson getting undressed? You and nonce? The boy in the leather coat stepped towards him, a menacing look on his face. Got any money? This from the skinhead. George smelt a distinct odour of glue and vomit. He stared at them, nonplussed. The youth in the leather coat lurched towards him, and he stepped back nimbly. If you two don't go away, I will call for assistance. The leather-coated boy mimicked him. If you two don't go away, I will call for assistance. Well, we, he pointed to his friend and himself, might just call the filth ourselves. You're a fucking peeping Tom, ain't you? So just give us your dosh and you can go. Quietly. The skinhead heaved, and George watched in revulsion as a stream of vomit ejaculated from the boy's mouth.